I'm Jason Leach. I'm Scotland's National Clinical Director. I'm Laura Wilson. I'm the Director for Scotland for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. Thinking about climate change and pollution, we get all these kind of images in our minds, I do at least, of kind of cars that are, you know, guzzling petrol in queues in LA or trees getting cut down or power stations. But we know that the health sector has a big impact. So just give us that big impact on the environment that the health sector has. If you imagine the health service is the biggest of everything, pretty much every country in the world, the biggest provider of services to the population, whether you're in Rome or Edinburgh or Dublin, is is your health and care system. And the the estimates vary, but let's, for the sake of argument, say about 5% of emissions are the responsibility of the health and care system. Now, that, of course, goes from the energy you need to run a dental practice or a hospital right through to the plastic cups you buy and the drugs you purchase. So so it's a very, very complex environment going from, if you were running it as a household, it would be your gas bill, your shopping bill, and your employment of other people who you're responsible for. And if you think of that on a scale, so in Scotland, we employ around 165,000 people just with NHS payslips. And the choices they make and the way we have to feed, clothe, house, eat all of those people and all of the patients we have with our 15,000 inpatient beds, never mind primary care, physiotherapy, pharmacy, everything else, it's got massive implications for our planet. Out of that, that those emissions that Jason mentioned, medicines make up about 25%. So it's a massive area to, to kind of think about. Um, I think when you think about it as well, medicines are the most common healthcare intervention. So if we can look to make a difference there, you, that, that difference will become quite widespread if we're, if we're looking at ways that we can change that. And I think... You know, we 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 sort of acknowledge this as a as a major problem on a global scale, uh, and the biggest threat to to society. You know uh, that has ever been, and and we kind of then looked at it from the medicines point of view, and how can we help pharmacists and pharmacy teams to make a difference to that twenty five percent, and hopefully reduce that to to make a, a huge impact across the whole of the NHS. Who in our society is going to be most impacted by climate change? I think it's important, Andrew, to, to, to think of this both geographically and over, over a timeline. I mean, it still, it still feels a little abstract for people in their homes, perhaps, in Copenhagen or in London. But it's real now for, for people, e- even in very developed countries. People suffer disease because of air pollution. Air pollution is a direct result of how, how we are treating the planet. So that, that's immediate. And there's lots of examples of immediate effects. If, if I took you to some of my friends in, in the Pacific Islands who are in health and social care, they're feeling a very different version of climate change. They are, they are losing land. They're losing arable areas where they can grow crops. Their rivers are no longer as productive as they once were. They're seeing many, many more extreme weather events. I just did an event in Canada where they were talking about COVID, but they had this kind of massive heat wave and flooding and COVID all joined together. So you get a pandemic, but on the top of that, you get all of these enormous weather events that kill hundreds and thousands of people as a direct result of that acute weather event. Then you get more chronic and long-term challenges from 
the world heating from food not being as as accessible as it is. You get famine, you get flood, you get all, all of those other things. Sometimes that bit feels abstract to us, doesn't it? When we're just putting our milk carton in the recycling, it feels feels like a long way away from that. But but the, there are immediate challenges if you live it, it, in in Europe right now that that we can we can help mitigate inside health and social care. I suppose the COP26 health programme is a fairly high level publication and commitment. What What is it that countries have committed to as part of that agreement? COP26 was about 50 yards from where I'm where I'm sitting right now at, at my home. It was an astonishing event for Glasgow to host and, and lots of lots of lessons in there. But one of the things that for the first time, I've never been at a COP in my life, of course, but I was at COP26 and for the first time they had a health day. So COP is divided into you do a transport day, you do a emissions day, you do a but they had a themed health day. And the WHO and others took the lead on that day with health ministers, with prime ministers and leaders of countries, along as along with health policy and clinical leaders such as the likes of me. And 60 countries, which was many more than we expected, have now signed up to let's call it the pledge. And you can you can look it up. It, it's a, it's available online, but it fundamentally is very high level. You have to declare a net zero day for your health system, and then you have to have some kind of plan to get there. I mean, it's I, I'm summarizing. It's slightly more complicated than that, but but it it's about signing up for that pledge as part of your overall government's response. And Scotland took that very seriously. Scotland, although not a full UN member itself, it's the UK that's the UN member. Scotland signed that pledge. Forgive the expression, independently. And we then took that challenge and published our own strategy. So the health and care system in Scotland has now published a climate and sustainability strategy. And it says what we're going to do to meet, to meet that pledge that we signed in front of the newspapers and the TV on that day on a Glasgow stage. If I asked the, the particularly the knowledgeable uh, people in this area to, to say what, what should the five categories be, this is probably what they would say. Buildings and land. So that's about your infrastructure, travel, both patients, families and workers, goods and services. So how do you procure your mints for your lasagna and your beds for the wards and everything else in between? Here, which is the piece I'm leading on behalf of Scotland. So that's actual climate change based on the care processes you choose. So in Laura's world, which inhalers do we use? Which anaesthetic gases do we choose to use? Do, should we treat more people virtually rather than making them travel to Inverness 400 miles to come for their care? So actual care systems and the climate and sustainability elements of care. And then the final, the fifth one is communities. So how do you do that in a broad community-based approach that's still person and family centered? So we've got elements and aims within those five, within those five things using our improvement science technologies that we've used for years in Scotland to fix other elements of care. So you can look in there and see what we say about procurement, see, see what we say about how we're going to do infrastructure, new builds, whether they're going to be energy efficient, whether they're going to be solar panel, all of that. But also, crucially, what it actually means for the care of our people who might be sick in a care home or who might be coming to our emergency department. Also, Laura, we're seeing um, professional membership bodies, you know, more local organisations producing their own strategies, their own commitments. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the role of pharmaceutical societies? Is it a climate declaration? 
Yeah, so we we, we um, sort of obviously as an organisation, what Jason's mentioned about, you know, that sort of country specific kind of declaration and those commitments and we've kind of looked at that as an organization ourselves and uh, first of all the first step was to actually acknowledge that there was you know a climate emergency um, which I think can because if you do that you've then got to follow through on what you're going to do to try and do your bit for it so we we did that first of all um, and that then included a series of commitments um, for us as an organization so obviously the first and, and those commitments were to lead you know the pharmacy profession and, and to try and make a difference um, and also how we would support members um, to do that and how to help them to, to make their own changes and I think before we could even begin to sort of tell others what they were doing we had to look at ourselves first so we had a, a, you know a kind of really in-depth look at what we were doing as, a, as an organization a look at our own business practices um, and created an action plan for our organization um, so you know that was things like um, divesting from fossil fuels which we've achieved it was things like um, you know being a zero to landfill organization which again we've achieved which we're really proud of and there's other things that we're working towards that's like water stewardship and you know energy consumption and, and using renewable products getting rid of single-use plastics in the offices and things like that so all sort of small things which add up to a big effect from an organizational point of view we also then looked at how we could help um, the pharmacy profession to make that difference with medicines so we produced four policies which included um, you know improving prescribing and medicines use tackling medicines waste preventing ill health and then improving infrastructure and ways of working so that's things like how do you get your medicines delivered you know there, there's lots of people getting one box delivered twice a day so how can we look at improving things like that um so we did a lot of work around that and have, have kind of come up with plans that pharmacy teams themselves can actually look to implement and it's it can even be things as simple as having a discussion with your patient um but also bigger things around pharmaceutical companies actually giving us the information that we need to make those greener choices when we come to things like inhaler choices or anaesthetic gas choices. Uh, how do we know which one's the best? Uh, and, and we need that information to be readily available for us. I don't know what's, what's going on in Glasgow, but today in Bristol, we've got nurses on strike. We've got, you know, food banks um, struggling to provide anything for people. There's a lot of stuff going on, isn't there, socially and politically at the moment. How are you going to kind of make sustainability the hot topic it needs to be for, for frontline practitioners to actually care about acting on this stuff? What we've done is we've tried to to get sort of those frontline practitioners just to start the conversation. So we created a, a climate change charter, which meant people could sign up and it had five commitments on it, which were really sort of basic just to go, just to do things like read up on what the effect was and then a space where they could actually think in their teams about what commitments they would want to use. So it could be, you know, really small things like stop using cling film or, you know, don't use that plastic spoon that I've got or take a recyclable cup to the coffee shop. Um, and we had a lot of help from an organisation called Pharmacy Declares, who are a, a pharmacy organisation who look at um, sustainability work and are really interested in, in this sort of climate change agenda. And they helped us come up with realistic targets that people could actually meet, which were small um, and really helped make a difference. But I think one of the ones that we've looked at from the prescribing point of view is, is, you know, actually looking at the resources people have. So things like realistic medicine and actually making patients part of their care, having those conversations with the patient, find out what's important to them. And, you know, if you if you do things in conjunction with people, they're far more likely to 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 go along with you. 
um, and, and actually if they if they feel as if they're part of their care, then they're more likely to take those medicines, which are not then going to end up in landfill. Um, but I think kind of where we came from, it was like get people interested, get them starting those conversations, and and give them ideas of the small things that they could start to change. Um, and if we all did that, then that would obviously make a big difference. I, I, I'm astonished that this of all the of all the improvements and changes I've tried to help with over the last 15 years, this requires almost no sales at all. <laughs> the, the, the crowd run towards you for this. Now, let, let's keep it in perspective. You're, you're right. There's a lot going on. There are workforce challenges. There are uh, financial and pay challenges. Scotland's nurses aren't on strike, but it's just paused. And, and, and we can hopefully find, find a way through all of that. There's also post-COVID trauma and recovery, both for the population, but particularly for key workers, not just health and social care, but people who helped us through the last three years, whether they were civil servants, fire officers, or nurses. So you're right, there's a lot of context in there, but my experience of this agenda is the workforce is ahead of us. The workforce is way ahead. What they're looking for is infrastructure and help and guidance and an, an ability to make it easy, whether that's recycling bins or stopping procuring certain anesthetic gases just to force that function down the chain whatever that might be. I, I I spent some time last week visiting Scotland's graduate entry medical curriculum, which is called Scott Gem, and it's all over the country. It's a fantastic initiative. And the, it's three universities, but the, most of the teaching is done in GP practices. So the students are long-term placed in general practice, partly in order to encourage them to stay in GP practices, our theory. But they do uh, an improvement project in, in each of their years. And I was in Dumfries last week, and 30% of the improvement, the projects they choose, are about sustainability. We don't tell them to do sustainability. They do anything they like. They can do cardiology. They can do diabetes. 30% are about sustainability. So this is, this is not an agenda that's waiting for us to wake up. It's an agenda that people have already woken up to. And the national system and the bodies like Laura's, we're, we're playing a bit of catch up to our young new graduates who are desperate to get into this space. And do you think patients are driving this agenda? You know, I've, I've got type 1 diabetes. I don't know anything about the climate impact of my insulin or my, you know, blood glucose monitoring stuff. But presumably that's what's happening, you know, on the high streets. We're, we're driving this agenda so that supermarkets are stopping selling plastics, for example. Is that how you see this going in terms of healthcare as well? I think we're, we're quite quite a bit away from that because the the first the first piece of that puzzle is to inform the the reason the reason we know you shouldn't buy you'd be better to buy loose pairs than packaged pairs is because that's taken a long a long time for us to to get there. That's not true in healthcare, and we don't have the data and the information required. And remember, the health service office often meets you at your most vulnerable, where if we're going to sit down and have a climate sustainability conversation with you, you're going to think, what, what, I just broke my leg, mate. Could you, could you just move on? So I think we've got to do a, quite a lot of that internally. There are patient and family conversations to be had. The inhalers is the obvious one. So if we're going to move you from a propellant-based inhaler to a non-propellant-based inhaler, that's going to need a clinical conversation that says, look, not only is this better for the environment, it's also better for you. And here's how you use it. And we'll be here for you if you struggle with it. And so there are, of course, patient and family conversations in there based both on clinical care and on climate sustainability. 
that that we can have. But I think I think we're quite a, quite far away from the patients leading the care process. I do agree. I think there are some patients who have an interest in it who will come to you and say, "I would prefer not to use this." But I, I would say they're probably few and far between. Um, and I would I think it's our responsibility, you know, as as professional leadership body, as organisations, um, to to collaborate with each other and and educate colleagues, um, which is what we hope our policies do, and the, and they they can actually read them and become more you, you know familiar with the issues and some of the solutions themselves. Um, I think yeah, there is there's definitely a time and a place to have these conversations with patients, but again, if you are going to be switching them, you know, have that conversation with the patient make sure they're on board with it because if they're not that's that's another inhaler that's going to go to landfill that's you're not going to be you know we don't have the recycling schemes that are at the moment that are going to try and try and deal with those so you know that is something that you need to work on is having those conversations with patients to get the buy-in from them um but yeah sort of collaborating with as prescribers and, and as clinicians to educate colleagues policymakers and even patients to a certain extent about the effects of medicines and how to make those greener choices is definitely, you know, something that we need to look at. We're looking forward to the uh, Quality 2023 conference in Copenhagen in May. And both of you are featuring in a session that's going to be taking place on the Wednesday of that conference on sustainable healthcare. Uh, Jason, you're going to be talking with Stuart Duncan about what quality improvement can do to drive zero emissions. Claire Morrison is going to be uh, your colleague, Laura, speaking uh, about prescribing to save the planet. Why should people come along to that session at the conference? Well, the first thing they should do is come to Copenhagen generally. I mean, it's a fanta- it's a fantastic city, more, more bikes than people. And uh, if you want an example of a, a city trying to deliver sustainable living, it's a it's a terrific it's a terrific example. It's also a beautiful place to to visit. I'm not trying to sell the conference. I'm trying to sell the city a little. Uh, and this is the first time the BMJ IHI conference has really taken sustainability as seriously as this, with a with a work stream and talks and and also thinking about the planning of the event and how we do that. I sit on their international advisory committee, and it's the first time we've taken it as seriously as we have. I mean, the, the, the talk, which I, I'm sure there are better options available uh, in, in competition that day, so I, 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 you might want to go to them. But if you came to us, then it will be a dialogue about what, what we can do together. It will be partly learning from you, partly learning from us, perhaps in Scotland, where we're early in that journey. And we'll use examples like the Green Theatres Project, the Anesthetic Gases Project, but we'll also think maybe a little bit more broadly about what this means for health and social care in the future, particularly for the aging population in social care and, and other places where we have to take this very, very seriously. But uh, I'll be as interested in other people's ideas as I will in sharing Scotland's. I think as Jason touched on, we'll we'll probably be talking more about the collaboration that we've had with Royal College of General Practitioners and other professional leadership bodies of prescribers who, you know, all have a all have an interest in making prescribing greener um, and how we do that and we'll, we'll be discussing a bit about how we work together to to produce a joint statement which has some of the suggestions that we've mentioned today um, and, and taken that to government um, and had meetings about how we can actually work together to make you know prescribing greener and, and actually have 
work on that 25% input that medicines have to the sort of carbon emissions and see how we can reduce that. So that's what we'll be talking about. And it is, it is a really interesting subject. Mm-hmm.